Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's Monday, and that means we have another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. This week, we bring you a slightly longer wrap as we delve into the many geopolitical issues you should be keeping an eye on. With the BRICS summit happening in August, is it worth the political headache? And why is French President Emmanuel Macron so keen on attending? Then another summit you've probably never heard of, that could lead to even more fallout. It's not been announced as far as I've seen, but I've been told that uh, President Ramaphosa is going to attend. There was some doubt about that. And that's obviously not going to go down too well uh, in the West either. And finally, we end things off with our usual green shoot, as we look at how local entrepreneurs are going big with the very small black soldier fly. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. I'm your host, Lizanne Janssen von Rensburg. And joining us today for this special episode is journalist and analyst on foreign policy issues, Peter Fabricius. Peter, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Lizanne. You? I'm great, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. So we've touched briefly on various issues relating to South Africa's position on the Ukraine war and the major developments that came from it, such as the upcoming BRICS summit and the African peace mission to the Ukraine and Russia. But could you bring it home for us? Why should South Africans actually care about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine? Because you would be surprised to see how many times we get comments from people complaining about the fact that we're focusing on international issues and not local issues. Yeah, it, it's it's often true, actually, what you say to hear from normal people that they, they can't understand the focus on foreign policy because they don't think it touches them. However, this does really have quite a strong bearing, even if it is rather, you know, I guess hard to detect and it's quite far away. I mean, Russia has invaded a, a small neighboring, you know, democratic country and it's flouted really one of the most fundamental principles of international relations, which is that you respect the territorial integrity and sovereignty of other nations. And so that that principle, if it's abandoned, could have consequences for other parts of the world, especially in Africa, by the way, where we live in a, a reasonably sort of volatile continent. And I mean, generally, our conflicts haven't been along those lines, interstate, they've been intrastate within states, but there's potential for that. It has happened in the past. And so, you know, there are important principles at stake. And then the other reason why it's, it's important important for South Africa, of course, is that we've been sucked into the global politics surrounding Ukraine. I mean, we we are in some danger of losing our preferential trade export into the very lucrative U.S. market as a result of it, because the, the people in Congress and the U.S. Congress have taken a strong exception to what they see as our pro-Russian stance. And that could lead to other sanctions. You know, the Reserve Bank and the Treasury produced a report, um, or I think it was just the Reserve Bank, uh, recently in which they calculated that if, if secondary U.S. sanctions are imposed on South Africa as a result of its stance on the Russia-Ukraine war, it could have catastrophic, was the word they use, consequences for the South African economy. It's just one of those huge issues that is massively important to the Europe and the U.S., and it's sucking everybody else in. I understand that we are fully entitled to have a stance on a matter mm. and not be um, under pressure from other nations to change that stance. But what are your thoughts on South Africa's insistence that we take 
taking this neutral stance, even though it comes across as very far from neutral, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah you know, at the beginning of the war, it looked like we were going to be taking a, they like to call it non-aligned rather than neutral, which is slightly different. I, th- I think what they mean by that is that they're not indifferent to the suffering of the Ukrainian people and the destruction of their infrastructure. So, but they're non-aligned as during the Cold War. There are other nations in the world also, what used to be called the third world is no longer, is the global south, which also non-aligned. And at the beginning, I think the Western nations kind of accepted that we abstain from a whole series of resolutions condemning Russia and the UN General Assembly. But then they they started seeing, and everybody started seeing signs actually of South Africa drifting closer towards the Russian side. The attendance of officials, including our defense minister at a Moscow security conference, the fact that ANC Youth League members participated as observers in these absolutely outrageous sort of what have been called sham referenda, forcing provinces of eastern Ukraine to be basically absorbed into Russia. And that got fully supported by the ANC Youth League. We had this infamous incident where the cargo ship, the Russian cargo ship Lady, are docked in Simonstown and according to the U.S. ambassador uploaded arms for Russia that's still being investigated by a kind of semi-judicial commission. And then we had this joint military exercise with the Russians and Chinese on the anniversary of the invasion. So there have been various signs that we are no longer non-aligned and that has caused concern. I think it's also important to also remind listeners, you know, that South Africa is by no means the only African country sticking to this non-aligned slash neutral stance. There are many other African countries who have also taken a very similar stance on this. So is this only because the African continent relies so heavily on grain and oil imports, or is there more to it? Like, what are we maybe not seeing? There's a mixture of things, you know. Our stance also comes as a result of a mixture of factors, and also in the rest of Africa. There is a kind of a historic, and I guess you could say quite well-established sort of principle of non-alignment, which also dates back to the Cold War, you know, before the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. But there are also ties that other uh, African countries have with Russia. Some of them are similar, actually, to ours. They support their liberation struggles against colonial masters. But there are also things like material commercial interests, like fertilizer, grain, and so on. It was very interesting to see, for example, a country like Kenya, where at the start of the uh, war in Ukraine, the Kenyan minister or or representative, actually, at the UN made a really memorable speech, which a lot of people quote, basically telling Russia, look, you know, you may think that Ukraine was once part of Russia back in the Soviet Union, but like we in Africa, you've got to get used to the fact that borders might not always be rational, but you have to accept them. That's that's the way it is. You forget about history, concentrate on the present. But you know, since then, and especially now under the new president, William Ruto, Kenya's also taken a much more balanced view. And, and there is a suspicion that had to do with like um, fertilizer concessions and contracts and so on, you know, which were offered by the foreign minister Lavrov when he visited there a few months ago. So it's a mixture of things. Some uh, African countries have voted quite strongly with the General Assembly resolutions condemning Russia. So in fact, more, more so than those who abstained. But in this continent, the proportion of countries that have abstained is higher than in other continents. It's the summit no one is talking about. The Russia-Africa summit is set to take place in St. Petersburg in Russia from the 27th to the 28th of July. And as with the BRICS summit, the world will be watching, especially the U.S.
There's been a lot of focus on the upcoming BRICS summit in August, but there's another big summit that you're also keeping your eye on, the Russia-Africa summit happening at yeah. the end of July. Can you tell us a bit more about this summit and what you expect from it? Because I, I don't think it's something that's currently on a lot of people's radars. Yeah. yeah, it's the second such summit. The first one was in 2019. And basically what's happened is that Russia, which is, is very conscious of the fact, and this emerged at the time of the last summit, is conscious of the fact that it took its eye off the ball in Africa for a long time. You know, it's a supported all these liberation movements and so on, like the ANC and others, Zapu in, in, in Zimbabwe and, you know, others in Southern Africa. And then you had the sort of collapse of the Soviet Union. You had the long period of, of utter chaos, really, in Russia under Yeltsin during the 90s. And then Putin, the strongman, comes back. It took a while, even since then, to begin to assert a kind of presence in Africa. And, and, and it's hard not to see it as being a response to everyone else. You know, I mean, the EU has been having summits with Africa since 2000. China has. India's started doing it, South Korea, whoever, you know. So Russia felt it needed to get on the bandwagon, you know, and so they had that summit. So really, in a way, it was a kind of symbolic exercise. I mean, I went to that summit. And it was kind of largely a trade fair, really, in terms of, you know, concrete events and things happening. But it, it was it was a symbolic way for Russia to say, we're back in Africa, you know, and, and we're, we're your friend. And of course, that was already after the initial invasions of, of Ukraine, you know, in the Crimea. So it wasn't unrelated to the geopolitical context. So this now again, especially in the context of the war, is making this summit very important. And one of the most important things, I think, is just going to be who attends. And it's not been announced as far as I've seen, but I've been told that uh, President Ramaphosa is going to attend. There was some doubt about that. And that's obviously not going to go down too well uh, in the West either. And then then we're going to see who else goes. It's not quite clear who, who would. Probably a fairly large presence for the reasons that we already discussed. That probably a lot of African leaders are going to say, well, we want to keep both sides happy and you know, want to keep our options open, but conscious of the fact that, you know, others will be watching, the West will be watching very close. Look, I'm waiting to see that that gets officially confirmed because we've been getting quite a lot of unreliable information leaking out on President Ramaphosa's movements and so on. You'd probably find it that in the US, the, the administration, the Biden administration would accept that. But, you know, in Congress, there's a lot of Republicans who are, are very angry with South Africa, you know, and these are the ones who've been issuing statements, making resolutions, and basically threatening to remove South Africa from a go, you know, the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, the one that gives us that duty-free access to the U.S. market. So, you know, that's going to be another, uh, if President Ramaphosa does go, it's going to be another tick in the wrong side of the column, you know. These are kind of accumulative factors which are going to weigh in on that decision. You know, we're supposed to be having the AGOA Forum, which is the annual meeting of the countries that are eligible, about 30-something African countries, and that's supposed to be in South Africa in November. But, you know, a bunch of very senior U.S. senators and congressional leaders, House of Representatives leaders, wrote a letter to the Biden administration that you probably would have seen a month ago or so, basically saying that they thought it should be taken away from South Africa, given its stance on Russia. So, you know, that Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg will be a factor in those sort of considerations. There's certainly a lot at stake just in terms of AGOA. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Just do you think the US will follow through on threats that they might take AGOA away from us? Or do you think it's just a case of them trying to pressure us into taking their stance on the Russia matter and nothing will happen with the Goa in any case? I think that's a, that's a very good question and I, and I don't 100% know the answer to that question. If you look at that letter I was referring to, and you know it was signed amongst others by uh, Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, who's actually a friend of South Africa. He's been to this country a lot and, and he's he's generally supportive of, for example, PEPFAR, that big program that fought uh, AIDS here for the last 20 years 
years. And so when he signed that, I thought, wow, that is quite seriously worrying. But if you looked at that letter, it was a little bit ambivalent because it started off by saying, we don't think that this forum should take place in South Africa because of this and this and the exercises with Russia, military exercises and so on. Then at the end, there's an if that comes and it says, if South Africa does not modify its Russian stance, then the forum should be taken away. So in that sense, it did suggest some kind of pressure and it was not quite clear what South Africa needs to do. Now, the one thing that I'm sure you, you were going to bring up, you know, we have this retired judge who's been investigating what arms, if any, were loaded onto the Lady R and what were loaded off. If that report comes out and it's due out quite soon and says that, uh, yeah, there were arms and so on and South Africa doesn't do something drastic to remedy the situation, then I think we're over the edge in terms of that AGOA forum, you know, mm-hmm. and then further consequences in terms of our membership. Is the BRICS summit becoming a greater liability for South Africa as member countries like Russia and China continue to push Western nations' buttons? While Peter doesn't believe President Ramaphosa will back out of the BRICS summit, he does warn that we're likely headed for some choppy waters. So I want us to also just quickly touch on BRICS. And more importantly, I want us to focus on France because French President Macron has recently yeah. said that he's very keen on attending. You know, it was an interesting gesture. I mean, I mean, Macron is the kind of leader who likes to see himself as being a bit unorthodox and, and using unexpected and un- unconventional tactics. And so he's, he, right at the beginning of the war, for example, in, in Ukraine, he was the one who was trying to speak to Putin and talk him down and so on. And he's been to visit China. So he He's like seeing himself as a bridge builder between the, the, the East and the West as they move further, dramatically further apart now as a result of this war. And so I think he thought, well, let's, you know, wh- why not? I mean, in the piece that I wrote, I said, and I quoted an, an expert on the G7 and the G20 and BRICS and so on, Ramaphosa always gets invited, except this year, oddly enough, to the G7 summit. And France invited him to the G7 summit, which it held uh, in 2019. And so it, it's not a crazy illogical idea to return the compliment. In a certain sense, BRICS is like the G7 of the South. You know, It kind of brings together the major economies of the South. And if you go to the G20, where the G7 is there and, and BRICS are there, they're like two sort of each representing a different you know, region of the world and, and discussing things in the G20 context. I think Macron was probably thinking, well, it, 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 would, be a, it would be a gesture, you know, it'd be a gesture of reaching out. And as we reach out to invite, you know, leaders like Ramaphosa and Modi of India and so on to uh, G7 summits, why not the opposite? And and yet, it's pretty clear that it, it's going to be vetoed by Russia and China, which would be a pity, I think, because I thought that it, was, it would be quite an interesting moment to have a, a G7 leader attending a BRICS summit. You also wrote in one of your more recent articles about the BRICS summits that it will likely become more of a liability for us than anything else. Is it too late for Ramaphosa to back out? Uh, should he back out? What do you think is the best yeah. move for South Africa in terms of BRICS? You know, to be honest with you, in some ways, BRICS um, has seemed to be a fairly uncontroversial body for most of the time that we've been a member of it. But I've always thought right from the beginning that by joining a body in which Russia and China are so dominant, and both of them having like geopolitical ambitions and been, both being quite assertive and, you know, you could say potentially, or in Russia's case, actually quite aggressive in terms of their foreign policy, that we were going to get sucked into those kind of things. And that's precisely what's happened in 
around Russia. And there's a danger of that happening with China and Taiwan. You know, if China were to attack Taiwan, which a lot of people expect it might do, we'd, we'd be going through all this again. You know, So I, what I was trying to say, there is a bit of a throwaway line in that piece. I was trying to say in a way that I, I think that what's happening now with, with this embarrassment and all this tension over the whether Putin will attend the BRICS summit or not, I was saying that, that BRICS is beginning to shift from being an asset on balance, you could say, to a liability. Because you look at our relations with those countries, what do they mean? You know, I mean, our relations with the West are way more important in terms of exports and balance of trade and so on. I mean, we, we trade a lot with China, but it's not very beneficial trade, to be honest. It's mainly in raw materials. Okay, that's also a factor. It's, it's useful and it pushes the commodity prices up. But the trade with Western countries is much more balanced. So there's more, we, we, we export more manufacturing goods, which is good for jobs and generally balance of trade, balance of payments. So it's, you know, I, I was just putting it out there that maybe to answer your question directly, I don't think that Ramaphosa is going to pull out of it, but but it's becoming increasingly difficult, I think, to, to be. And, and we have the issue that coming up at the summit of membership, you know, expanded membership, which could be controversial too, because if certain countries like Iran and so on join, there's a danger, I think, that BRICS becomes more and more of a kind of anti-Western bloc, which it isn't quite at the moment. Mm. Saffron, snails, mapani worms, bambara nuts, and now black soldier flies. When it comes to the farming sector in South Africa, entrepreneurs are proving once again that anything is possible. Here's this week's feel-good story. We've really covered a lot in today's episode, but I, I want to kind of end things off with a green shoot as we always do. And this one's a bit different and it's about a Cape Town based company that's yeah. farming with black uh, soldier flies, a high source of protein. And they plan on exporting these to the EU and elsewhere. And this just got me thinking about other products and resources that are often overlooked, I think, in our country that could yeah. become a saving grace for our struggling economy. I remember we did an amazing story on saffron farming in South Africa. And last year we reported on young farmers and entrepreneurs embracing mopani worms and bambara nuts. Do you think industries like these could uplift communities and then also on a more grand scale push our economy forwards? Yeah, that is quite an intriguing little account, wasn't it? And apparently they have already begun exporting to the, mm. the EU and the and I mean, there is this huge protein shortage in the world, and it seems to be fairly innocuous in terms of impact on the environment and, you know, biodiversity and all that, as far as one can tell. What it says to me, in a way, is that you have to create environments, economic environments, in which entrepreneurs like this who come up with what we might think are rather crazy ideas are given an opportunity to, to pursue them. I mean, there's no way that any government economic planning commission is going to say, you know what we haven't done yet, what we haven't really exploited is the potential of the black soldier fly. That requires some entrepreneur who's just got a you know mind in another place. And then it requires an environment created by the states and, and it, which encourages that, which uh, which permits that, which liberates his entrepreneurial eccentricity, shall we say. Mm. I was also thinking, you know, there is no ways that our government bodies are discussing the viability of, of soldier <laughs> flies <laughs> as a viable economic yeah. sector, you know. <laughs> so I, I love I love that people are coming up with these ideas and really pushing with forwards with them and, and that they're successful. That that makes me happy when yeah. they're successful proves that, you know what, anything is possible, really. I was actually wondering whether he doesn't have a go access because if he's exporting <laughs> that stuff to the US, I mean, potentially that's that's uh, you know. yeah that's a good point that's a very good point <laughs> well i mean that's it for today's weekly wrap it's been such a pleasure chatting to you and 
really getting a broader perspective on SA's place within a global context because we've tried to kind of touch on all of these aspects but we really couldn't get into this depth um, as much as we have today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Zane. It was really good to, to sound lovely. off. No? <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. 